You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Well, today, meet Fabian Seralta, who founded a very popular gravel event called Gravel Locos. And this was after he discovered his love of gravel biking. He wanted to share with others his experience riding rural gravel roads while raising money for the local volunteer fire station in Heiko, Texas. Gravel Locos has attracted over 1,600 gravel enthusiasts each year, from newbies all the way up to the pros. And he successfully put the small town of Heiko on the map. This event takes place in May, and Gravel Locos has expanded to a second event that happens in the fall and takes place in Pueblo, Colorado. Find more information at gravellocos.bike. And here is Fabian to tell us more. Well, I'd like to welcome Fabian to the podcast. Hey, Fabian. Hey, Kathy, how are you? Good. So Fabian, as I said in the intro, is uh, part of a pretty cool assist- series of events, I'll say, uh, Gravel Locos, right? Yes. I, I cannot wait to talk about it. Um, I feel like I, I've been talking about gravel for quite a while on this podcast, and the more I do it, the more I enjoy it as you know a mode of transportation. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I remember when I first first started riding gravel and, and, and telling folks about it. They're like, "Are you crazy? <laughs> Why would you pick when there's perfectly smooth paved roads?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I started. Um, I would assume as a kid, because I live in Iowa, where we probably have more gravel roads than paved roads, and I'm assuming as a youngster. I was on probably my 10 speed and sailing over gravel like it was no big deal. And, you know, now as an adult, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm choosing to do this? <laughs> See, you were riding gravel before you even knew it was going to become a thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so be- and not complaining on a 10 speed with small tires. <laughs> I know. And I don't ever remember having to, like, change a tire, but I'm sure I did. It's uh, a memory that maybe is you know, suppressed or something. But (laughs) anyway, before we get into Gravel Locos, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about you, um, like where you grew up and then where you live now? Sure. Yeah, Uh, I I was born in Cuba and uh, I was there for the first, I don't know, eight, nine years of my life. And my mom and dad and uh, two brothers and a sister, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to move to to, uh, Miami in 1980 and so from cuba to miami and i spent you know 30 something years in miami and then from miami to uh texas and that's where i currently am right now in texas nice okay i rode my bike across the united states last year and spent i i don't remember how many days like 26 days pedaling across texas so i i spent some quality time there That's a long time in Texas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, growing up in Miami, 
Um, did you bike as a kid in that area? Yeah. So, you know, when we came from Cuba, we, uh, we lived in this little one bedroom apartment. It was like seven of us because I had a grandmother and there was a, a bike shop not far. And I started kind of going over there and back then my dad got me a, a used Huffy, Huffy oh, bike, yeah. like yeah. a BMX bike. So I started going by this, this little bike shop called Cycle World. It's actually still in Miami, and the owners, Mr. and Mrs. Lee, were really nice folks. They had migrated also to the U.S., but from China. And uh, they were really uh, just warm, fuzzy, nice, welcoming type of folks and did so much for the kids in the neighborhood. And I was one of them. They just, you know, helped me with bike tires and setting yeah. up my bike and gave me a racing, uh, a racing jersey, pants, and helmet, and kind of took me under their wing and i started racing bmx uh with their bike shop team and we would you know race in pompano florida and homestead florida and other tracks so that was my my introduction to bikes in the u.s i remember in cuba when i first learned how to ride a bike my uh it was a it was a schwinn and uh, i remember my dad teaching me and when took the training wheels off and he said all right you can go from this end of the street to the other end you know on the sidewalk so i started doing that you know it was just like so liberating not having training wheels <laughs> yeah. and i was riding from one end to the other one end to the other and i was like all right this is getting old so then i started going all the way around the block and i did that and then i added a few more blocks and before i knew it it was nighttime <laughs> and when i got back home i got an ass kicking like where the hell have you been <laughs> like man you you, you set me loose. You took those wheels off, and yeah. I just went exploring. The freedom, man. So, yeah, it was the greatest <laughs> feeling ever, and you know, I'll, I'll never forget that. Just like being out there riding as a kid in Cuba, and just like, wow, I've never seen this street, and I've never seen this side, and uh, so yeah, that, that feeling. And then in Miami with the BMX bikes, uh, kind of reminds me of what you were saying about being in Iowa and the ten speed and the gravel. You know, we would get on these BMX bikes that are you know one break one gear and then we ride like 14 hours oh, get up really yeah. early and we ride from one end of miami to the other and then we never complain about those plastic hard seats or anything and <laughs> so <laughs> and then you know from the bmx i got a little bit into motocross and then some mountain biking and then sometime i think around 1998 or so uh, i met a a, a guy out where I was training my my dog, and uh, he rode road, and he's like, "Oh man, you gotta come ride road with me." There's this group ride, and uh, I showed up with my mountain bike, but I had I had to put some slick tires at the bike shop, and that's how I, st I started riding road in Miami uh, on a mountain bike with slicks, mm -hmm. with this uh, uh, group of guys riding Pinarello bicycles and Colnagos and all this fancy stuff. <laughs> And then from there, I moved to Texas and in 2005 and got my first road bike. Uh, I was uh, a Specialized and uh, did that for several years until 2015. I, I was visiting my son in, in, at the university in Denver, Colorado, and I went into, a, I think it was a Specialized bike shop. And I saw this really cool looking, you know, road bike, but with like knobby tires. And I was like, man, what is that? Right, yeah. Yeah, and it turned out to be it was a cyclocross bike, and which I had no idea what cyclocross was. 
and uh, and I started telling the, the guys of the shop, man, this bike is like ideal because I, I bought this ranch in Oklahoma, and I've been there, and, you know, I've, I've had it for three years, but I can't take my road bikes because, you know, the driveway is like three miles of gravel, and then the closest paved road is another seven or eight miles of gravel. Mm. And uh, so I purchased that bike. They shipped it to uh, Texas, and I had the bike shop build it for me, and uh, that was my my first uh I guess the closest thing to a gravel bike was that that crux. Yeah. And then uh, I guess my first gravel event that I attended was uh, October first, twenty sixteen, in Texas. And I showed up with that bike uh, with seven hundred by thirty three C tires, and they were just ninety psi or ninety five psi, and uh, <laughs> it was a beating, <laughs> the hardest fifty miles of my life. I thought I was going to die. Yeah, I can. My first gravel experience is very similar. You know, like the first uh, event that I entered. So, yeah, way too much air pressure. You know, the the rocks were shooting out from the sides, probably hitting other Mm -hmm. bikers. (laughs) Yep. And I didn't even, I I mean, I brought two uh, two bottles and a couple of snacks because I thought it was going to be kind of like a a road rally. And I've been attending, you know, many of these road rallies. Where you pay, you know, whatever fee, and there's eight, there are eight stations, and drinks and food and pickles and such. And <laughs> I, I, I forgot to read the little fine print that said "self-supported." So, <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, I never thought that 50 miles was going to take so long, and uh, and not having any aid stations or anything. It was, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, but for I mean, whatever that experience was, you were hooked, right? Not that day. That day, I swear I'd never do that again. Oh. I remember calling like, my friend Juan, and I was like, Juan, I'm going to kill you, dude. <laughs> Why? Where were you? Oh, I mean, I overslept. I'm like, you're the one that talked me into doing this because, you know, he, he he rode gravel. And he's like, well, you ride, you know, you've ridden 100 miles before and this and that. I go, I know, but this was very different. And then when I told him the tire pressure, and he's like, oh, no, dude, you can't run those tires and that tire pressure. And it's no wonder you got beat up. But I was so mad at him for not showing up. And I, I guess a day later or that same day, I don't know, I was, I went back to my Oklahoma ranch at the time and I was just sitting there and like, I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm going to do this again. <laughs> and uh, I remember lowering the tire pressure and trying to bike at the ranch. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and- But I guess it was, it was definitely that experience that got me to start signing up for like every gravel event I could find, including uh, BWR San Diego and uh, every event I could find in, in Texas. Uh, eventually I got to do Mid-South. That was a, an incredible experience. Oh, wow, yeah. And, uh, and did uh, Ted and Laura King's Route of Vermont and Jess, Sarah, and Sam Boardman. So I did the uh, last best ride in, in uh Whitefish, Montana, and a few other places. So, yeah, I would say that that was the event that kind of got me hooked on gravel. The ones you just mentioned are, you know, not to mention epic gravel, but just beautiful places to be. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I remember doing Ted's event, and, you know, my kids are really into it, like Harry Potter, and I've kind of gotten a few glimpses of some of the movies that they watch, and I remember telling them, man, it looked like I was in Harry Potter, Harry Potter's jungle in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was so beautiful in Vermont. These particular sections of the course, which is unbelievable, gorgeous forest. Same thing with uh, Whitefish, Montana. Yeah. Well, how would you describe, um, I, 
like the hype or the spirit of gravel? Because it's so much different than road riding and for sure different than like BMX, like you described earlier. You know, actually, I, I think it's probably closer to BMX than it is to road. Uh, it's just, it's, it's more of a, I don't know, I, I, I think of it as a sort of like, you know, in baseball team terms, you know, the, the sandlot. You know, it's people just come with what they have and they come as they are. It's an environment that, you know, it's you're not really being judged for the bike or the wheels or the kit that you're wearing mm-hmm. or whether you match or not. So I've always felt that it was uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of being a kid and riding BMX bikes, you know, just that whole grassroots feel. And uh, as you know, and I, I get asked this question a lot sometimes and and i always say that you know for, for me you know, the spirit of gravel is uh, as a promoter is making sure that i provide uh, a space or an event race that has enough distances that pretty much everyone can participate oh yeah uh so I, i'm for me it's important to have a 30 mile route a, a 60 mile 100 mile and then our big route the 155 and I, you know, I feel that that's one way that I can make sure that, you know, folks that are beginners or folks that are interested in gravel can can come in and, and commit to maybe a 30 mile or and, and experience it uh, or not maybe a 60 mile. And I think having that variety in, in the routes helps a lot. Pretty much uh, we, as far as the routes, we, I mean, it always shocks me most registered folks are registering for the 155 or the 100 and then wow. next is the 60 miler yeah that always shocks me wow. because i'm like i don't want to i don't want to sign up for that one <laughs> <laughs> i just did the 30 the other day and i was like exhausted and uh so you know we, we had 1600 folks in high Lax last year and i don't know those maybe 100 100 and change doing the 30 miler and everybody else was doing the 60 and then the majority were doing the 100 and the 155 yeah but I really, you know, I, I feel it's important to have that variety of different routes and providing, you know, aid stations, SAG vehicles, and just trying to make it as as beginner friendly as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always kind of in my, and I think a lot of that has to do with my first experience. You know, my first experience was not a great one. Right. I was, you know, not prepared and. So, you know, I said, you know, having aid stations and having SAG vehicles and mechanics on routes, I think that's one way to really get folks that are interested or curious about gravel to say, you know what, I'm going to take a chance. Let me go do it. You know, it's a big difference uh, from, you know, signing up for a 200 mile ride (laughs) and and not having any support uh, versus signing up for 155 miles and having, you know, five, six, eight stations should you need any help. Right. And if you're one of those people that wants to do it unsupported, you can just pedal on by those eight stations. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, let's talk about Gravel Locos. Um, the first question I would have, and I think I already know the answer, is it a race or a ride? You know, it's, I, I always I struggle with that because I, I call it an event a lot. But I I guess that's up to the person, you know, yeah. because everybody is timed. So we, we everybody gets in the on number plate. Everybody is going to get their time, whether you're doing the 30 mile or the 155 mile. Uh, and it's certainly a, a pretty chaotic race. I won't say chaotic, but a pretty intense race in the front of the group because we have so many 
pro cyclists from the U.S. and uh, and Europe and Latin America that come. So you know you will see 50 in the front that are just hammering, and then you'll see other groups uh, behind them that are also riding just as hard. But then you got folks that are, you know, they just want to finish it, and that's usually mm-hmm. like me. Mm-hmm. I just want to get it done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I would say that that is both. You know, for some folks it's a race. Uh, for others, it's just it's an event or a ride. Uh, you know, when I did Ted's event in Vermont, and when I did Jess and Sam's event in Montana, you know, I was the last person. So, you know, I would say for me it was a ride. <laughs> you know, when I when I did Mid South in 2020, it took me 14 and a half hours, and you know, it's I certainly wasn't you know contention for any kind of placement but you know i i treated it as an experience and as a ride so i would say the gravel locals is both and it's really up to the rider what they want to make out of it and that's such a cool uh dynamic because you're you know you have the pros who are doing it because they want to you know either best their time or beat somebody else but then you also have at the same start line you know like sometimes people call it party pace, you know, they want to just be in the event. They want to complete it. They, you know, who, who knows what the reason is, but it's nice to to be able to have all of those people at the same start line. Yes. Together mixed up in there. And, you know, and I I always say, you know, the pros are doing Gravel Locos, the 155 route in seven hours or so. And the last folks that come in are usually doing it in, you know, 14 hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I always say I'm more impressed with those folks <laughs> doing it, being out there twice as long as twice the beating, you know, <laughs> so we, we are, you know, one of the things that about gravel locals are we don't have a cutoff time, so we will stay out there. It doesn't matter how long it takes people to finish. And I always, you know, I make my own trophies, so I usually make at least five trophies for the last five and we wait and sometimes it's after midnight and and we just we wait out there and we have everything lit up the timing company is still there everybody's still there oh, i love that because uh you know i've been that last person many times in the events where there is a cutoff and they try you know they tell you, you got to turn around and you know i've never been one to obey those rules so i keep <laughs> going because <laughs> you know it's like i don't know i just if we're going to talk about the spirit of gravel, you know, I feel like it should be an environment where we're encouraging people to, to go out and complete these challenges, you know, because riding those distances is a challenge. It could be a personal challenge. Maybe somebody has been struggling with uh, drug abuse or alcohol abuse or mm-hmm. weight issues and, and they've challenged themselves, you know, I'm going to do this hundred miles. You know, I just don't have the heart to say, Hey, you know, <laughs> You missed the cutoff right. by 30 minutes or right. an hour. You need to turn around and go back. I mean, to me, that doesn't, that is not something that's going to empower somebody. And it's certainly, I wouldn't want it done to me. So, you know, I, I get it. Some events have that and that's fine. But if I do one of those events and they try and turn, turn me around, there's going to be a fist fight. Because <laughs> I'm not <laughs> I'm going, <laughs> you know, but I, so I, I made sure that a gravel local, that's one of those things. We don't have a cutoff and, and we tell people just, and we always have SAG vehicles. So uh, last year uh, at both Gravel, uh, Locos Heiko, Texas, and Pueblo, Colorado, you know, we have SAG vehicles out there and they follow the last riders and they report back to me and they let me know more or less where they are and how many hours it's going to take. And, and they're, they're there in case these folks need a little help or something. Sure. 
Um, but it's just fun. It's fun to see the the last five come in, you know. And I think in Pueblo, the last it took the last five like twelve hours to do to do it. And in, in uh, Gravel Locos, it takes a little longer. But it's just a fun atmosphere to you know celebrate. You know, the first ones and the last ones and the ones in the middle. And yeah, you know, again, it just goes back to the spirit of Gravel. It says everybody is part of it. Everybody's being want to celebrate, whether you were first or you were last or anywhere in between. I love it. And uh, you mentioned briefly, you know, there's different um, mileage um, and it's basically two events, right? One is in Heiko, Texas, like you said, and the other is in Pueblo, Colorado. Yes. So Heiko, Texas is always two weeks before Unbound. Oh, okay. So uh, May 20th is Heiko, Texas. And then uh, Pueblo is uh, September 30th. And the reason for that is we we always wanted to be a, 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 at least a week or two away from the uh, Lifetime Fitness event, the RAD, which takes mm. place in a neighboring city, usually in October. But this year they decided to do their event the same weekend as ours, so that's going to oh. be interesting. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, <laughs> in their defense, they called me uh, last year in December to tell me that they were changing their date. To our same weekend so i was like Ugh. <laughs> yeah day. that's we're a only like an hour apart that's not good oh man well hopefully you still have a, uh, an amazing crowd and um will you describe uh i've i don't know if i've ridden gravel in texas but i definitely have in colorado and colorado gravel is nothing like iowa gravel so like tell the listeners what the quality like what is the gravel like there I would say that Texas, the Heiko, most of Texas, but definitely Heiko, Texas, is hard packed. Uh, you can always find a smooth line, even when there's loose rocks. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, uh, even if it rains, the, the chance for mud is, is slim. Uh, and I know that some folks can, you know, oh no, if it rains, there's mud. Yeah, we're talking about an inch, two inches of mud. <laughs> if you really want to see mud, you got to go mid south. Right. <laughs> Twelve inches, fifteen. I was going to say, yeah, up to yeah. your calves. So you know, with uh, the the, it's so rocky and it's, it's such a hard packed uh, environment in that high core area that it, it's a, it's very fast. Uh, you know, whenever they freshly grade the road, you, you'll have some loose rocks, but. Again, you can either pick the right or the left side, and you'll find a nice smooth line. Mm-hmm. It's certainly very fast. Uh, I've seen people out there doing it in 700 by 30 C tires. Wow! I wouldn't recommend it, but you know I've done it uh, with 700 by 35s, uh, and I've done it with 700 by 50s. And but I would we always tell folks, you know, I think 700 by 38 and bigger is usually a, a good size tire for for rider comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I've seen people with slicks and, you know, I've, I've been running out there for a while now, a few years. And, you know, I think I've maybe gone one flat. Uh, so it's not a, an area that's known for, you know, flatting and stuff like that. Now with Pueblo, uh, uh, as you said, it's very different gravel and it's, uh, it has the potential for, for becoming mud if it rains, mm. uh, but it is very smooth. Uh, it's much softer, uh, more sandier, or like clay type material. Uh, when it's dry, it's just smooth as can be. You know, they call it a champagne gravel. Oh, nice, uh, yeah. 
but you know you do have that risk that if it does rain uh for a lot and that's why we, we kind of picked the september time end of september uh to try and avoid you know the snow time and try and avoid a heavy rain time of the year and it works out real nice but it's definitely it's very smooth in pueblo and uh the climbing in Pueblo is more gradual, whereas the climbing in Heiko is a lot punchier. Mm. Um, we have uh, the section of climbs that are three climbs back to back that, you know, the first one kicks up into 21%. Uh, the second one, I think it's 19 and the third one into the 20%. Wow. Uh, these are just back to back and they're, they're a good length. Uh, and I, I see a lot of people walking. I've seen people just topple over because they don't have enough gearing. <laughs> Uh, but Pueblo, uh, gravel, the climbs are more gradual. They're longer and more gradual uh, versus the steeper, shorter, punchier ones in mm-hmm. Heiko. So completely different events, you know, even though Very they're both different. gravel locos, they're, um, yeah. a- with Heiko, you get a lot of the wildflowers, uh, because of the time of year. And with Pueblo, you get the fall colors. Oh so yeah. Okay. Very different events. And obviously, um, this is an event that people register for, and you've already given you know some of the cool details about registration with SAG service and aid stops. Um, like, do you want to give us just an overall view of what registration means? Well, just I, I would say that the, the reason I started Gravel Locus was to to help fund volunteer fire departments. So, oh, okay. folks, when they register, their registration dollars are used for that. So. For example, you know, between 2021 and 2022, in Heiko, with the registration money, we bought them a, a brand new command fire truck, and we built a larger station for them. So we added almost 3,000 square feet to their fire station. Oh my gosh, that is uh, awesome! Yeah, so and, you know, you're, you're talking about a you know 80 something, 85, 90 thousand dollar vehicle that we got them, and you know the the uh, expansion of the station was 140 thousand or somewhere around there. So that's where the, when you registered, you know, that's where the money goes. And if you want to see where your dollars went, just go visit the uh, local volunteer fire station in the city or the town that we're riding from. And that's what we do. And in Pueblo last year was our first year. And we, they, uh, they don't have indoor plumbing. They don't have indoor running water of any kind, no toilet, no sink, nothing. So, and their station is also in need of being, um, made larger so Mm -hmm. we started uh the fund to build a larger station and also add uh, indoor plumbing um uh, so they can have a toilet they can have a place to wash their hands they don't have anything like that Uh, both of the departments both in heiko and pueblo are really busy departments they they do both fire and accidents so they're, they're you know it's fire and rescue fire rescue missions uh, they deal with auto accidents and all sorts of stuff. So both of them are uh, are very busy departments. And what really got me interested in starting Gravel Locos was when I learned of how little funding uh, these volunteer fire departments get. And there's so many of these departments throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, if they're lucky, they're getting 10, 20% of their budget from the counties or the cities that they serve. The rest is coming from neighbors and, and residents. Oh, wow. uh, so it's all donations. Uh, 
so uh, well-funded departments, uh, city and state departments will donate old trucks to them, uh, uh, respirator masks, you know, fire suits. So they get all their stuff used from others mm. and they rely on their community for money to buy gas or diesel for their vehicles, for money to pay the electric, uh, for money just to get training. Uh, so they, they function with very little. And, uh, and that's kind of where I was like, you know what, why don't we start a gravel event out of here? Since we're out here riding all the time, we just start a gravel event mm -hmm. and we'll use the proceeds to buy them all the things that they need. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in two short years, we've been able to, to provide for them things that they've been waiting years for. So, you know, they needed a command fire truck and they have been waiting already for and they were still like 117th on the list. So it could have been another 10, 15 years before they got a vehicle donated to them. And they were wanting to, they, they were needing to expand the station, you know, for the last 30 something years. Mm -hmm. uh, and the riders, the folks that signed up for Gravel Locos did that. You know, they, they registered, they pay their fees and their fees, you know, bought that truck and made that station large. And, and every time they go to Heiko, they can go look at it and say, wow, you know, we did that by riding our bikes. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. It's just the event is so cool. And to know that you're <clears throat> giving back to the community, like literally. Yes. It stays there. So, yeah. you know, it, it, when the registration dollars from Heiko stay in Heiko and the ones from Pueblo stay in Pueblo. And these departments and these folks are so appreciative. These men and women that volunteer they have full-time jobs and they're still working, you know, 15, 20 hours more at night wow. uh, at these departments because they get called a lot. You know, both of them are pretty busy areas. And it, to me, it's just a shock that their funding is the way it is. And it's, it's not unique. It's just high and Pueblo. It's you hear about it everywhere. You know, for example, Ian Boswell is a volunteer firefighter. Uh, in his town in Vermont and you know it's, it's a struggle to to get the funds to to get the equipment or to pay for the training and the classes and, mm -hmm. and such so you know, it's, it's a problem that's nationwide and uh, it's uh, I'm happy to see that other events have kind of seen the the value of helping these volunteer fire departments and uh, I've gotten a few uh, messages from a couple other events hey we're starting to use our proceeds for the volunteer fire department. And it's just great to hear that. Oh, for sure. Because for me, it's even if you don't care about volunteer fire departments, it, it, but if you ride gravel, you are riding in areas that are in the middle of nowhere, remote rural areas. And well, guess what type of fire departments are out there? Volunteer yeah. fire departments. And if, should you get hurt or have a mechanical, have a problem, you call 911. That's just going to come out and help you. Right. So why not say, hey, let's help them. Wow. This is so cool. I mean, you literally took a dream and, you know, you wanted to help and you already biked, turned into an event. And it's obvious it's been a success, a huge success. So, like, how do you think you were able to attract, well, riders in general? But, I mean, you have the pros coming. You know, I, I for that, I, I would probably say I have to thank Ted King. Now, Ted King is probably uh, the one person in the beginning of, of this dream idea that I had that really 
came forth and helped. Mm. He's very passionate about giving back and such. And I think it was in 2019 when I reached out to him or 2020, uh, the, the idea of Gravel Locos came because I had a conversation with the fire chief in Heiko and they were trying to raise $10,000 to buy a used command fire truck because, again, they've been on this wait list forever. And I was like, you know what? I bet I can get 300 people to come out here and everybody pays something and we can raise more than that. Mm. So <laughs> my initial thought was 300 people. And the first event had 1,200. No way. Yeah. <laughs> the second event had 1,600. So naturally, I was like, you know, Chief, we're not buying anything used. We're buying a brand new truck. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember asking him after 2021, and he, they were just like so thankful for this vehicle. And it's such a beautiful vehicle. I was like, whoa, what are we, we going to do next? And I said, you know, what other big dream do you guys have? And I remember him saying, oh, you know, <laughs> this is not going to happen, but we would love to have a you know, a larger station and have a, a staff lounge and a training area and all this stuff. And I'm like, let's do it. You're like done. <laughs> Consider it done. And it happened, you know, because, <laughs> you know, 1,600 people signed up. So, so it happened. But to go back to, it, it was Ted King. I reached out to him through Instagram and I never ex- expected he, for him to reach, you know, to respond. In fact, I reached out to a lot of my, you know, favorite writers, uh, men and women that, I would follow and basically wrote this long message <laughs> that I sent to them via Instagram and what I was trying to do. And I was, I wanted to have this gravel event and I wanted to raise money for the volunteer for you know, a detailed message. Mm-hmm. And he was probably, uh, he was the first one or the only one to respond at first. Uh, and he just really gave me tons of guidance and uh he had experience with events himself and he's the one that said you know what uh if you want to do it uh pick a date you know you want to kind of pick a date that's not going to interfere with another another big event you know out of respect and certainly not an event very close to you so we wanted i wanted to make sure i was nowhere near mid-south you know i I do have a, a ranch in oklahoma not you know a few hours from there so that was a possibility, but uh, I said, no, let's just do it in Texas. And we made sure that it wasn't when Mid-South has their event. We wanted to make sure that it wasn't when Belgian Waffle Ride had their event mm-hmm. uh, or Unbound. Uh, I think in at the time, I think it was, uh, uh, gosh, it wasn't Unbound. It was uh, Dirty Kanza on the name of the event at the time. And so Ted said, you know what would be ideal is two weeks before Unbound because, you know, you've got a lot of riders that are looking for uh, a race and uh, to do. And and two weeks in between events is perfect because you have plenty of time to recover. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, let's, you know, he suggested doing less than 200 miles, more than 100, less than 200. Uh, So really strategically, he was just he was kind of like the mastermind behind a lot of this. Uh, and I was just a, a student listening, taking notes and, and cause he obviously knew what, what he, what he was doing. And, uh, he reached out to a lot of writers and on my behalf and said, hey, look, this is what he's trying to do. In fact, he even reached out to friends that had something to do with that were in the fire truck sales industry. I mean, he just went all out. To oh, help. So awesome. So yeah, he bridged a lot of those, uh, he, he created bridges for me between other writers 
Uh, and I think his idea of doing it two weeks before Unbound was really the, the big hit because uh, all these Europeans that that uh, that are wanted to race that are coming to race Unbound, a lot of them get here two weeks or a week before Unbound uh, just to acclimate and get used to the area. And that's where uh, once I announced my date, I just started getting uh, interest from European riders about, hey, you know, where do I stay? I'm so and so, and I and uh, Pete Stetna helped me a lot as well, and also connecting me with other riders. Uh, in fact, Pete connected me with Lance. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lawrence Tendam. Still waiting for Lance to come. He hasn't come yet. <laughs> <laughs> Lance, you're invited. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he listens to this podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lawrence Tendam, you know, was uh, somebody that the Pete Stetna connected me with, and then Lawrence brought a whole bunch more. Dutch folks and it's just turned into this international national event and it's just been great fun and they're you know they're they're very passionate a lot of these men and women are very passionate about giving back so they you know they help me by talking about the event it's you know they've spoken about it at interviews and Velo News picked it up and Cycling News and even GCN and uh, Bicycling Magazine Uh, so it's really it's been something that has just kind of taken off and with the help of all these people that I didn't even know who they were just, you know, they're passionate about doing something fun and also finding a way to fund these uh, volunteer fire departments. I love it. And you, you know, now that you've added the second event in Pueblo, um, that keeps you on your toes because you've now got two events <laughs> to uh, do. It, it is. It's, it's, <laughs> It's crazy because, you know, I always say gravel locals is a hobby and I've got two other businesses that are, you know, that I have to run that, you know, it's what pays the bills, but gravel locals is not a hobby. It's a business. It's just, (laughs) (laughs) it's taken over my life. (laughs) I went from, you know, riding, you know, six, seven, 8,000 miles a year to like nothing. Right. And since I started gravel locals and it's just kind of taking a toll on my health, I've gained like. 60 pounds and I'm not riding my bike and I'm like oh god I gotta figure something out here <laughs> so it's uh yeah if you're thinking of starting an event just get ready <laughs> yeah yeah it's like uh, running a business for sure oh yeah if people want to you know learn more about it or actually get registered where do they go you know on our website so registration is uh, via our website so it's www.gravellocals.bike and you'll see both events there and you can click on whichever one you're interested in and find out more. You can see the, the pros are that are you know, coming uh, to race. Uh, you can see lots of articles that have been written about the event and you can see lots of pictures from previous events. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to come to the event and they can't afford the event, just send me a message through Instagram or send me an email and, and I'll be happy to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make sure that you know, everybody gets to participate and there is a, uh, a registration fee, but that, you know, they hope that they understand that where that money is going, right. uh, it's going for a good cause and it's going to these volunteer fire departments and, you know, they will be able to witness what their registration dollars are doing. You know, they can visit the departments and talk to the firefighters and learn about what we as a gravel community have done for them, you know, the vehicle, the larger station, these are things that are making their lives easier, making those communities safer. Uh, so, you know, if you want to be a part of the spirit of gravel, I, you know, I, I 
I, I don't have any problems with events that are for profit only. That's fine. That's their, you know, that is their right. But I, I would definitely say that uh, I see gravel as a vehicle to give back because I, you know, it, it kind of dawned on me at one one point is we're going to all these different little towns and we're parking there for free and we're riding their roads and then we get into cars and then we go eat somewhere else. And I start thinking that's just not cool. Uh, so whether you you host an event and, and you donate the funds to to that community or not, I think I, I would urge people that when you go to these little towns, you know, and after you're done riding, you know, if you have to fill up your gas tank, do it there. And yeah. if you have to want to get something to eat, you know, stay and eat there because they really it helps them. Uh, Heiko is is you know they they talk about it all the time and and they're so happy to see riders now. This is a little town that really was not very well known and certainly didn't have uh, the, uh, the international recognition that it has now. And right. it's made a big difference in their little town. And they, this is a huge, you know, the population is like 1,200. So having 1,600 riders plus family members there <laughs> one weekend, it's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> become this great cycling, gravel cycling area and i hear it from the little restaurants and the little shops man we get so many riders now this is so nice and and you know like saturday and sundays were great we had a whole bunch of cyclists that after they rode they stopped in and they ate you know it really makes a difference sure. in those little towns so there's so many ways that we can all give back with these small towns especially since we're you know parking there and riding from their you know their their um, downtown area yeah well, I hope that people listening to this, um, you know, think about coming to Heiko or Pueblo and uh, for sure go to the website, which is gravellocos.bike, right? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, Fabian, if thank anybody you. Wants to, yeah, if anybody wants to start their own event and they want some help, I'd be more than happy to give them a little guidance on how to do it. Yeah. Now, if I can do it, they can do it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, I don't know, I may see you in Pueblo this fall. I would love that. Yeah. Love to see you there. Thank you so much for inviting me on. You bet. All right, take care. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. Email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit both my Facebook and Instagram pages for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener. Listener.